Hey, hey, water coolians! Welcome back to another round of speed dating with yours truly. Today on the podcast, in lieu of those post Valentine's Day blues, we keep the love in the air just for a little bit longer by having on new friend Tali Matayahu, co founder and CEO of Blink Date, a voice only blind date whose mission is to create connection without the influence and assumptions of physical traits, kind of like what? you and me are doing right now. And she also happens to wonderfully create a companion podcast to Blink Date, a date in a Blink podcast, which follows willing participants as they bravely share their first audio-only interactions with their blind dates. Season 2 has officially dropped, and you can find it wherever you listen to this show, but obviously wait until this show is over. In today's episode, Tali and I talk all about online love, from the mean streets of a millennial's bedroom making dating apps with his best bud, to the lockdown streets of China and a little bit of COVID love. We explore the rapid increase of dating apps that have flooded the market and why niche dating apps may become the new norm. I share some golden dating tips to avoid awkward first dates. You're welcome, obviously. And in our final news story, Tali and I discuss while taking literally Another second before swiping left or right could help you to avoid missing out on your Morticia to your Gomez. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Water Cooler Talk episode 77 titled Dating Differently with Tali Matayahu. Enjoy! This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. All right, Talia, are you ready to jump into our first news story? I am. This is from WFM2 News Greensboro, North Carolina, written by Ben Briscoe, November 20th, 2019. Greensboro man creates dating app where he's the only guy allowed. 31-year-old Aaron Smith can put his finger on exactly what's wrong with dating apps such as Tinder, Bumble, Plenty of Fish, and Match.com. He states, The biggest problem with the other apps is that my face is not featured prominently. To cut down on competition, he and his friend Scott McDowell created a new dating app called Singularity. By utilizing the latest in personality analysis and machine learning technology, Singularity saves you countless hours of swiping by just matching you with me. No matter how many times you may swipe left or right, it's only different versions of his picture. Scott McDowell, the computer brains behind Singularity, states, All of us who have done, done online dating in some sort can all relate to that it really does quite suck. But not everyone has a computer genius at their disposal. So how do you improve your odds? First, it can help to know when and where to look. Highspeedinternet.com says Tinder has the most amount of men on it, but as far as where the heck the women are, Tinder tied with fellow competitor Plenty of Fish. Age matters as well. PC Magazine found that for Tinder, 18 to 45 is king, 25 to 34 for Plenty of Fish, and 45 to 65 for Match.com. And as far as what day you should make your move? The best day of the week to make your move is Thursday. Most people use the apps then looking for a date on the weekend. Even though Aaron made his own app to try and find love, it doesn't mean you should give up. Amanda Caldill, who met her now husband Jonathan on Bumble, states, It's 100% possible. We're proof of it. Her husband Jonathan continues, Be, be authentic. Be honest. That's the biggest yeah. key. Too many people try to sell themselves like a car and you just have to be honest. As for Aaron... He hasn't heard from many women after making his new app. He states, No. Well, I mean, other, um, other than like my mom who calls me, um, I hear from her pretty often. Um, no. But he hopes creativity will be the key to finally making that love happen. So Tali, as someone who has now ventured into the dating app world as a dating app creator and CEO, how have you seen the increase in dating apps change the landscape of dating? You know, you mentioned some of the sites that are, are kind of range the gamut for dating apps and dating offerings. You know, you have the match.com, you have the plenty of fish, you have things that are more web-based. They ask you lots of questions and there's a survey and it tells you how compatible you are with people. And then there's the Bumble and the Tinders and you swipe. I think now what we're seeing is a lot more niche apps. Mm. So there are apps for people who are dog owners. There are apps for people who like beards. There are, you know, really specialized apps. And I think the reason that we're seeing that is because people want a little bit more of a curated experience because they aren't necessarily finding what they're looking for on other apps. Because there's so many options. You have to swipe endlessly and filter through people. And so now there are these smaller kind of more niche spaces that are, are being filled to try to offer 
you know, more manageable experience for daters. Yeah, I think as we're seeing the creativity of people who are realizing that I can't find or or not that I can't find, but it might take longer for me to find that quote unquote perfect match on Tinder or Bumble or Match.com. They're like, well, is there potentially something out there that I can narrow it down to something that I'm interested in? I think FarmersOnly.com was like one of the first big things to do that. It's like, all right, if you're looking for a farmer, you're a farmer. <laughs> Here's the dating app for you. Right. So you don't have to weed through everybody on some of the bigger ones like Tinder, Bumble, or Match.com. Yeah, I think there's um, there's something to it when you're looking at the lifestyle choices that come with it. So if you're looking at, you know, I want to date a farmer. Okay, great. This has really narrowed the field for you. If you're looking for somebody with a beard, it's narrowed the field for you. I think the one thing that I think can be a downside is sometimes people don't necessarily know what they're looking for, or they think they're looking for this checklist of things. And then they find that that person who checks them all off and it's not a fit. And then on the flip side, they find somebody who checks one, two of them off and find out that they're a perfect match for them. And so I think they're, they could be really powerful ways to find somebody who fits your lifestyle choices. Again, like you're looking for a farmer. I think another one, like religious affiliation, that's really important to people as they kind of think about the life they want to lead. So there are spaces where that makes sense. I think it can just be helpful for daters to also kind of try to keep them open mind about certain things because you never know who you're going to fall in love with. There's no logic to how we fall in love. Um, so I see the, the pros and cons to these kind of niche apps, personally. And that's one of the more interesting thing when, you know, I was using dating apps in the past is that you kind of want to cast this wide net of who you are, because somebody like me, I very much enjoy getting to really know people of just different backgrounds and different thought processes. And so casting a wider net kind of helps in that area. But when it does come to love, you tend to gravitate towards people that are more into things that you're into because, you know, if you want to go hiking, you want to go hiking with someone who likes to go hiking, not someone who would rather, you know, stay inside or go to parties. You want to find these specific, you know, niches that fit more into your life because it is, it's very scary and very uncomfortable to date someone way outside of what you would consider normal because it's just so unknown. There are so many ways to think about it, but you know, there, there are people, there's this old woman on TikTok. I forget her handle, but she's super famous now who talks about how she has nothing in common with her significant other. They like totally different things. They have very little in common in terms of interests, but they love each other. And that's all they needed. And so I think, you know, sometimes we want people who we can go hiking with, but does it have to be your significant other? Or can it be somebody, can you just go hiking with friends? Can that be your friend activity and you do something else with your significant other? And this Mm. isn't to say there's a right or wrong way. If you want to find a partner that you can hike with, because that's the type of traveling you want to do, or that's really how you want to spend every weekend and you don't want to be apart from your partner every weekend, that's totally fine. But I think it's really interesting as people go into dating, what the things they think are necessary as part of a relationship Nothing is really necessary as long as you're compatible when it comes to your values and your communication styles and, you know, the things you want to have for your life long term. And you can find ways to, to navigate the in-between, like your hobbies, like you can explore those whatever way you choose. So I think um, what I would say is it's interesting how people approach the dating apps because I think that, you know, you see what other people do and you see people like saying, oh, you have to have, I have to present myself as somebody who likes hiking because I think that's what people are looking for. <laughs> That's that's not probably the best way to think about kind of putting yourself out there on dating apps. It's my take anyway. It's so almost difficult, especially in this idea of what social media has become. And once again, there's always positives to something like social media. But you're presenting this artificial self. It's like, I want to fit in. So I have to pretend that I like this more than I actually do. And you kind of have this, I think the one individual in this article, Jonathan mentioned, you know, be authentic, be honest. But it is very, very difficult to do that in an online space and be vulnerable in an online space. It's not an easy thing. It's I, I mean, I've been doing kind of what I'm doing here for almost a decade now. And I'm still, you know, at certain conversations, I'm a little uncomfortable by broaching that because I'm like, well, I'm being vulnerable to now thousands of people. And that's very scary. And it's the same when it comes to dating, because especially love is such a vulnerable thing. So you kind of want to hold back a little bit on who you are, because you're like, all right, I'm really into Dungeons and Dragons, but I know ma- people make a lot of fun of it. I mean, not anymore. It's kind of becoming more of a, a well-known thing. But you might hold that back and say, well, I just like board games. But there might be, like we kind of talked about originally, there might be a D&D dating app right. that you might not know about because you're so you know, afraid of being vulnerable, which once again, I think you have to kind of 
be as authentic and yourself as possible. But if you're too authentic, if you're too vulnerable, that's going to turn a lot of people away as well. So you have to find that perfect balance. It's it's just like marketing yourself and figuring out, you know, what do I message about myself and what's going to resonate with the people that I want it to resonate with. But it's impossible to know. And to be honest, some of us just aren't very good at marketing ourselves in that way. And so it puts us in this really strange position of, of picking and choosing the parts of ourselves to share in this early phase and not knowing how other people are going to take it and if it's going to attract the right people that we want to connect with. And I think you're right. Like at the end of the day, we should just be authentic. We should just be ourselves. And whoever that attracts, you know, that's probably the people that we should be talking to rather than somebody who's like, no, I don't like Dungeons and Dragons. And now that I know that you like that, I think you're a total nerd and I don't want to hang out with you. Like that's not somebody you should be talking to because you should be able to be yourself in whatever relationship you have. So yeah. I would agree with your, your assessment. And I think going into dating and just being honest about who you are and what you're looking for is so important. And that's why maybe these niche apps, specifically the app your CEO of Blink Date, an audio first type of app can be so important because in dating, I think it's important to find good balance. You know, you have to find this perfect life balance between relationships and work and enjoyment and life. And just because you like to hike doesn't mean you have to find someone exactly who likes to hike. You know, Maybe that's a event you do with friends, or maybe that's an event you do by yourself. So it's important to find that yeah. balance and trying all these different apps to kind of find out or to try and find people that you're like, oh, crap. No, now that I've seen this person in a different way, or I've used a different way to find this person, they're actually somebody that I could see being together with. Yeah, what we're trying to achieve by kind of getting rid of the profiles and the photos is and, and adding like an actual conversation as opposed to like voice notes is giving that people that chance to actually talk and see if there's an authentic connection and let people actually have their personality shine because it's it's different to have a conversation with someone, see if there's chemistry, see if you are vibing rather than, you know, putting a profile out there and texting. There's just a different energy. There's a different understanding of who someone is. And I think the synchronous conversation, an actual call is a really beautiful way to let people be their authentic selves and let them get to know somebody else's authentic self. Obviously, people can still, you know, try to spin who they are a little bit here mm -hmm. and there. But it's a lot harder when you're actually having a conversation to be like, yeah, I love beer, when really, <laughs> you know, nothing about beer, and you start talking about it, and you can't go Google it. Um, so it's a little bit more of a, a, a place where there's kind of genuine um, conversation. And there's more opportunities to be honest. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's been in this audio platform for quite a bit now, it's, you know, back in my dating days, this might have been Blink Day, it might have been an app. I'm like, all right, this is kind of exactly what I'm looking for because I want to start by first off seeing if we connect before we actually get a chance to meet because that's so important. Like you spend so much of your time, you know, going out to these first dates and spending money and spending energy and spending your own time. And you're like, I I'm glad I met this person, but <laughs> it's kind of a waste Probably of a day. Probably would have used this night, right? We would have used my time differently. Yeah. And it's funny, even, you know, I see some seen so many videos of people joking about how they'll get ready for their date and they're doing their hair and their makeup and like 10 minutes before they're going to leave, somebody texts them, hey, you know, I can't make it. And you're like, I just spent an hour just getting ready. <laughs> and how great would it be if instead of doing that, you spent 10 minutes vetting them, have a conversation, see if you know, there's anything worthwhile there. And if there is great, go on your date. Um, if there isn't, you know, you, you're still on your couch and you can turn on Netflix or you can go on your hike and kind of go on with your day. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that Aaron, uh, the individual from this article kind of faced is this situation where a lot of these apps tend to be more male dominated. Has that been something you've thought about with Blink Day? You know, is it possible to solve one of the bigger issues with dating apps in terms of that ratio of men to women, because, you know, the perception of having women on an app seems to be that quote unquote big draw, but that also conflicts with the need for a safe platform, you know, free of, say, casual sexism towards women. Yeah, we actually have the opposite issue. We have a heavier ratio of women to men. Um, so I think whatever apps offer, it's going to kind of attract people that it is most of interest to. So, you know, people say that men are more interested in physical. So maybe that's why Tinder has a heavier ratio of men to women, because that's kind of their shtick, their, you know, image first. Mm -hmm. Whereas I don't actually know all of the ratios for different apps, but I think they'll just kind of naturally attract the people who are interested in, in that experience. I think in the case of 
an app with a single man. I don't know what he, he necessarily uh, is thinking in terms of <laughs> how how many women he's going to get on the app. Well, I do I do want to say, I don't, know, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the video, and I'm pretty sure this is just a publicity stunt to kind of get him on the yes. news and get him talking to, now we're talking about him on a podcast. So <laughs> I don't working. think it's like a true app, <laughs> but I think... Now he's on the news. Now people know about him. Right. That's true. And to be honest, that's one way to kind of be more creative about meeting people because it can be really hard when you're swiping through the thousands of people. I think one of the things that can be really hard on any dating app is that kind of it's like that uh, analogy with the jams. If you go to a stand and there are 20 jams, you're going to be more dissatisfied after trying them than if you went to a stand that had only four jams. And you're more likely to purchase from the stand that only has four because there's so many options in front of you that you feel like, oh, if I chose one of the 21, I'm more likely to have missed out on something really, really incredible from the other 20. And so you feel less satisfaction. And so I think it's really interesting because he was talking about how, you know, his photo isn't being shown prominently enough in these other apps. So I'm just going to make it so that I'm the only photo. And now, you know, like you said, it's a publicity stunt. I think it's an fun kind of not fun. It's like a, a, a interesting strategy to get yourself out there because in some way, it, some ways it recognizes the problem and it's taking this kind of creative way to play with it and kind of make fun of it. I don't know if it'll work <laughs> for him, but I just think it's, it's fun and playful because I think we get so caught up in the world of online dating that sometimes we forget we can meet people in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of using it to meet people in other ways, which is clever. Well, and that's been the interesting thing about the past two and a half years with the pandemic and just how lockdown society has been and felt because people have been migrating to these online apps to kind of figure out how do I meet people when my city or town or state is or country is shut down? So I think that's why we've kind of been seeing this large swath of individuals start to use dating apps and dating apps become more uh, a mainstream and for stories like this to make mainstream, because right. I feel like five years ago, if somebody did this, the news wouldn't cover this. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I think um, you're right. Like people are thinking about dating differently. I think one, they're actually looking for more committed relationships than they were before. And I think Mm -hmm. it's because the pandemic took away so many things in our social lives that suddenly we found ourselves feeling a little lonelier potentially and feeling the desire for a deeper human connection with somebody that we could go through it with. So people are thinking about dating differently, but they're also thinking about how they're meeting people differently. And so they're using virtual methods, you know, they're doing voice and video dates in a way they never had before. You know, there was this book by uh, a woman, Anne-Marie Bessicini. Bessicini. Um, I forget what it's called. The book is titled Dump Your Phone, Find Your Person, a research-based guide for dating in the modern world. But she talks about how we've essentially stopped trying to meet people in real life. And this was pre-pandemic because we've become so reliant on our phones. Mm. And even when we're in a grocery store and we see someone that we want to chat with, or if we're in a coffee shop and we see someone reading a book, we feel this fear of rejection. We don't want to approach them, A, like, are they single? And that's like an initial question. But that doesn't necessarily have to be a stopper to having a conversation and just, you know, chatting with a stranger about a book that you also love. So it, I don't know. I feel like we've become paralyzed in some ways. And yes, the pandemic is a factor. I don't think anyone should do anything that's unsafe. But is it possible to still strike up a conversation with someone in real life as opposed to relying so much on apps? And I say this as a dating app founder, so a little bit contrary to to, um, my own self-interest. No, that's interesting. That fear of rejection is such a strong motivating factor for why I believe people have gone to online dating. And even as you know, a man myself going up to somebody, going up to another, you know, a woman in say a grocery store or at the bar or at the gym, you know, like I think of it, if I was to flip the script and I was going to be that woman in that situation, like when I go out to the grocery store, I just want to get my stuff and go home. Or if I'm going to the gym, I just want to work out. I just want to put my headphones in, listen to my music. And so I kind of Uh, think about that on the other side as a man to a woman I'm like they probably just want to be left alone but that's kind of changed the way we've seen dating because all right I'm just going to leave her alone and then I'm hoping that I find her on a dating app so I can make the connection that way instead of making that connection in person and that's so interesting to me that we literally have this person we want to connect to in front of us but we're having all these different thoughts about how they're going to take in me coming up to them and talking to them. And also, as you mentioned, that fear of rejection, that we're willing to bypass that initial in-person conversation to hopefully 
find them on an app. Don't get me wrong. You're absolutely right. There are some people who, when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the gym, they don't want to talk to anyone. And that's totally valid. And it then creates this like, oh, well, should I approach anyone? I think if if you are going to approach someone in real life, the key is to really be very self-aware and recognize that if you say something to someone and they don't even take out their headphones, don't keep trying to get their attention. Mm -hmm. They're probably not interested in having a conversation. Or if you ask about their book and they just give you a one word answer, probably not interested in, in engaging with you. And, and like this also applies in the sense of, you know, platonic connections. I remember I made two really incredible friends at a that just totally fortuitously New York City out at a food market because they started talking to me about my dog and they love dogs. And we just struck up a conversation and became in real life friends. And had I not been interested in chatting, I would have just been like, oh, yeah, he's a cleat guy. Move on. <laughs> but then we started asking, oh, you said you really love dogs. You know, what kind of dogs do you like? Like you said, you grew up with a husky. You know, do you have dogs now? You can tell by someone's reaction whether or not they're interested in kind of engaging. And mm -hmm. if they are, beautiful. You might have made a beautiful connection. If they're not, you know, you tried. You can just, it's not necessarily a rejection. It has nothing to do with you. It's just they are in their own little space and that's fine. Recognize that and go back to your workout or go back to eating your own pizza or whatever it may be. Um, so I think there's a balance to be struck there. Yeah, the importance of that social awareness and being yes. aware of the social interactions and the social settings. And, you know, I used to use this app before the pandemic, Meetup, and I used to go play football and basketball and go to breweries and stuff. And, like, that's a situation where it makes sense to talk to somebody that you may be romantically interested in because that's the goal of, right. you know, an app like that is to get together, to make friends, to make relationships. So kind of being under uh, understanding of that social setting – and also, I think it's kind of going back to like this idea of casual sexism on, you know, these apps. And when you're in front of someone, it's a lot harder to say what a lot of yes. specifically men say to women on these apps. Yes. So I think a lot of men would rather, you know, say these absolutely horrible and sexist things on this app because there's this screen between us that, all right, there's no real consequences, but there is consequences. Yeah. There's trauma that comes from how women have to deal with specifically, you know, these sexist men on these apps. I think you're absolutely right, which is another reason we think synchronous conversation is a really great way to assess whether or not there's something there. And it's a really great way to avoid a lot of these issues. It's it's a lot harder to tell someone terrible things face-to-face, mm -hmm. -face, so to speak, like actually having a conversation with them, hearing their reaction. And this is it's the 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 flip side is if those people are going to say those terrible things in any forum, we don't want to, like, I would never want someone like that on our platform. Like, that's just, it's terrible. But it, it's just a self-protection measure to not engage with people in a forum that makes it easier. Um, and I think you're right. Like, when you're texting, it's just so much easier to be mean, especially when you don't know the person. You don't know anything about them. Yeah. When you hear their voice and they're actually like a, it's kind of like they've taken an animated form. Like, you recognize they're another human being and it. I think brings out a little bit more empathy in people when you're not just staring at like this profile and it's like this two dimensional version of another human. It's just like a picture. So to you, it's not, it's not real. You can be mean to it. So I think you're right. And I, I, I think there is a really big problem. I don't know that, you know, there's a 100% solution, mm -hmm. but I think it's just too easy right now to, to be kind of cruel to other people. Um, and I think that applies in dating and beyond, to be honest. Yeah, it's easy to dehumanize a photo. But when you're mm -hmm. literally talking to someone, and I believe the dates are 10 minutes long on Blink, yep. it humanizes people. You can hear inflections in their voice, their emotions. You know, as someone who's very sarcastic, online dating where it's all text-based, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to get across that sarcasm without sounding right. like a jerk. But once you get to know people and they understand it, they're like, oh, now I understand the way you talk and, you know, especially when it comes to sarcasm, so right. much of it is about the inflection of the voice and how certain things are said. So having that opportunity to have a more humanizing aspect to dating is, I believe, always a net positive. Yeah, we do. Um, we also have our podcast, Date in a Blink, and we recently had an expert listen to one of our dates. And he we asked, you know, at the end of the episode, do you think that they matched or not? And he said, I don't. But I think if that was a text conversation that I read, I wouldn't have known if they would have matched or not. There was something about hearing how they were talking, hearing the tone in their voice that made it pretty apparent that there just wasn't chemistry there. They weren't connecting. But if those same exact things were said in text, 
it would have been a much different kind of read on the situation. You can expect this episode of Date in a Blink podcast to drop later this spring. You know, you can tell so much from intonation and inflection and you can hear humor and you can hear if there's laughter or not. Like mm-hmm. you can type haha or LOL or put an emoji when you're not actually laughing. Whereas in a conversation, you actually can tell, you know, do they like my jokes? Is it landing um, or is it really not? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. And it's very interesting because I've had a lot of dates where, you know, we click on text, but then in person you yeah. don't or the opposite. <laughs> so it's kind of a, something you have to figure out as far as, you know, this new age of dating. It's all right. Can we click on text? Can we click in person? Can we click right. after the quote unquote honeymoon stage is done? There's so many things you're thinking about that. I mean, they did exist, you know, back in the day before dating apps, but it's just a new kind of layer that, you know, a lot of people in the dating world are now thinking about and going through and trying to handle. Yeah, I think you're so right. And it- you don't need to have it all. I think that's the other thing with dating apps right now. When we see one thing that isn't 100%, you know, a fit with someone, we immediately are like, oh, well, I'll just go find I'll just go swipe and find someone else. There are mm-hmm. thousands of people out there for me. And so there's this bigger, better, better next sense um, when we're dating online. So if suddenly, you know, you had amazing chemistry in an in-person date and you start texting and, you know, there's feels like something is amiss, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not into you. That might just mean that you have different texting styles, or maybe they just don't text generally. And so maybe it's worth actually saying, hey, I texted you, I didn't hear back from you for two days. Like, is there, I thought we had a really great time. And if they answer like, oh, no, I just don't take my phone with me. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. You could say, oh, actually, for me, my expectation is somebody's going to respond to me within X amount of hours. You know, if we can't figure that out, that's one thing. But actually, like, I think, thinking about it from both perspectives rather than just one side of, oh, you know, it's not perfect. This person isn't perfect. Or, you know, I found out that they really hate all sorts of foods and and they don't eat any vegetables or fruit. So I can't like, there are ways to think about these things that don't have to be, this means this isn't going to work. Like what is actually a non-negotiable and like, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a compromisable, this person is perfect for me in every other way. I can get past this. Yeah, I mean, even in the perfect relationships, if you don't want that relationship to work, you'll be able to find something that you don't like. Right, right. Yes, there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Tali, I would like to welcome you to the show. You are the co-founder and CEO of Blink Date, a voice-only blind date whose mission is to create connection without the influence and assumptions of physical traits. Tali, welcome to Water Cooler Talk. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to talk more about what is being built with Blink Date, how it began. I understand the idea started from having a blackout uh, dinner at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the movie About Time, but one of the first dates they have in that movie is a blackout dinner restaurant. So it's always been on my bucket list to do it. But then what have you learned since you know starting Blink Date? I've learned that some of the generalizations and stereotypes that we hear aren't necessarily accurate. I did think men might not enjoy the experience as much because the stereotype is men are more visual, but the men that we've had go on our proof of concept dates through our podcast have shared pretty much identical feedback to the women in terms of their ratings. We have like the average rating is eight point something and like it's a 0.1 difference between men and women. And they say the same things about how they feel it's so much more refreshing and so much more fun than swiping, that they are tired of swiping. So I didn't expect that. I thought that men might struggle with it a little bit more. And maybe it's not for all men. Maybe it's just we happen to, like I said earlier, you know, attract the people who are interested in this experience. <laughs> but I, I, I did expect it to be uh, different. And I was really excited to see that it, it surprised me in that way. Yeah. And for the listeners who don't know what a blackout dinner is, can you kind of explain the concept and your experience with it? So a blackout dinner, it could be either a dinner where you have a blindfold on, or in my case, I went to a a restaurant that you literally can't see anything. You have a blindfold blindfold on. They take your phones and your watches and there's no light inside the restaurant and they lead you in and they seat you. And in our case, it was at a communal table. So we had other people at our table And they said, if you want to talk to other people, you can. If you don't, feel free to have your own private experience. Like, it's really easy to to do that. And so for half the meal, had a private experience. But at some point, something struck up a conversation between us and the other people at the table. And it was just an incredible dinner. And we laughed a lot. We shared a lot. It was a really warm and open connection. And after the dinner ended, we left the restaurant. I saw them for the first time, the people that we'd been speaking to. And I realized that had I seen them beforehand, I would have assumed we wouldn't have anything in common just based on appearances, and I would have been really wrong. And that's a shame because we go through life making those assumptions every day. 
and we miss out on a lot of potential connections. And so in the context of dating, I think we're doing that a lot in swiping. The statistic is less than one second. We're swiping on profiles based on attractiveness and race. Mm -hmm. The study mentioned was done by the University of Maryland and Michigan State titled Modeling Dating Decisions in a Mock Swiping Paradigm, an Examination of Participant and Target Characteristics. And it found the average time for a right swipe, which means you like the person, was just below one second. And for a left swipe, you don't like the person. It was about half a second. But attraction in particular, like race, obviously lots of issues around that, but attraction in particular, like psychologically, your attraction to someone grows as we get to know them. So how can we make these one second decisions about compatibility based on attraction when really our, you know, our brains and our, our bodies think about attraction differently? Like we want to get to know someone before we're actually physically attracted to them or not is really kind of cemented for us. Yeah. I think what you talked about in the fact that we make assumptions based on appearance and just these very split second decisions is maybe dangerous isn't the right word, but very unhealthy to how we make relationships as humans, especially in today's day and age. Like, I think it's important to kind of take that extra step to, you know, and, and you don't have to, right? This is totally people's decisions on who they want to bring in and out of their life. But I do think there's an importance in really understanding somebody outside of what they look like or what they may, you know, support. The Super Bowl happened after this episode or before this episode comes out. But, you know, you hear all these stories about people getting beat up literally for supporting another team. And that's that's it. That, that's <laughs> it. That. Just Jesus. because they're wearing a different jersey, people will get beat up. I mean, obviously that's more of an extreme example. Right. But that could literally be your potential best friend. You know, we talked about this with Natasha Sony. We talked about how, you know, somebody from, I'm from Minnesota and we have this rivalry with the Green Bay Packers. So there's this intense hatred towards these two fan bases, but all it was, was because we just happened to be born in different states. And then you apply that to bigger concepts like race and religion and sexuality. People don't get to choose who they are when they're born. They get to choose who they become. And that's fair to have those initial reactions. And, you know, that's part of our flight or flight. If this is something that you see and you're like, ooh, I don't feel comfortable with this, that's totally fine to step away and move on. But also, I think there's importance in non quote unquote dangerous situations to really get to know another person and really understand where they're coming from and why they might like the things they do or believe in the things they do or why the heck do they like the Green Bay Packers when they're from a, a Wisconsin? You're spot on. We make these assumptions about everyone and we paint a picture of what we think that they are. And I think it actually just to something that I was thinking about as you were sharing, we do it in the opposite direction too, where we see someone that we think, oh, you know, they're so like gorgeous, or they have a really lovely smile or whatever it may be. And we start thinking, you know, filling in the gaps in the other direction. They must be a really great person. Yes. And so we start ignoring red flags then when we actually start talking to them because we think, no, that can't possibly be true. They can't possibly be a terrible person. Maybe they are, but you're just blinded by the physical attraction component, the chemistry that you feel physically. And that can be really dangerous too when you're dating in a sense, because you stay in these toxic relationships for reasons, you know, that you really you know, shouldn't factor in when you're thinking about whether or not to stay with someone. And so looks can go, can be an evil in both directions. And that isn't to say that they're not important, that like chemistry is important. Yeah, I think to your point, there is this study uh, when it comes to prison sentences and how juries respond to potential defendants that said basically more attractive people or more oh quote unquote traditionally attractive people tend to get lesser sentences just based on their attraction. A Cornell study found that unattractive defendants tend to get hit with a longer, harsher sentence on average 22 months longer in prison than the uh, attractive defendant in a similar case. So there is, I'm glad you brought that up. There is pros and cons to that. Yeah, the pretty privilege is real. It's, it's <laughs> real when you're dating. It's real, you know, out in the world every single day. Like when you go to a bar, I'm sure, you know, I'm guilty of this too. Like try to look cute for the bartender to come to me so that I can get my drink before they do. And like, it's silly, but it, it's real. And I've, I've talked about this before. And even like myself going out, you know, if I feel good about myself and I'm doing my hair and I'm smiling, like I get treated better at, say, if I'm going to Target, more people or more of the workers say, hey, do you need help or something? And these are things that right. a lot of people don't realize has a big factor on just even our own social stigma of how we place ourselves in society based on appearance. So sometimes being able to have that option to say, all right, let's focus on my personality over my 
attraction is sometimes a good start to make you more attracted to mm-hmm. someone and to make yourself potentially more attracted to other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're right. Like sometimes we just don't feel great about ourselves or we're, like I said earlier, we're not great at marketing ourselves. And so we're not getting results when we're putting ourselves out there because it's hard or whatever it may be. So this gives people a chance to actually get to know people without being uncomfortable potentially with, you know, Oh, I don't feel my best today. Mm-hmm. My hair looks funny today. And I have this date scheduled and, it, it kind of brings you down a little. So I think you're right. Like it, it really impacts how we socialize and, and the connections we make in a way that we hardly think about on a day-to-day basis. Um, but it really does impact us on a day-to-day basis. When I kind of want to talk about your podcast that you mentioned, you know, in companion to the app Blink Date, you have a podcast called Date in a Blink Podcast, uh, in which listeners have a chance to listen in on these audio-only speed dates with uh, willing participants, of course. Uh, <laughs> how has the reaction been towards normalizing those types of conversations, these kind of awkward but very, very common first date type conversations? And I mean, obviously, will there be a season two to follow? There is a season two. It's coming out on Valentine's Day. Um, and yeah, I think... It's been really interesting to hear people's perspective. One thing, I actually had one friend who participated in the podcast and his episode came out. He said he sent it to all of his friends to ask it that, <laughs> how, how did I do? Am I, good, am I a good date? Like, what did you think? And so it's become kind of this way to also think about, am I dating correctly or not? And there is no mm-hmm. right or wrong when you're thinking about dating. There are best practices. There are ways to make your dates kind of more enjoyable for you, for your partner. But it was interesting to kind of hear this perspective of, you know, am I doing this right? And I think for listeners, it's a way to hear different ways of dating and to learn, you know, pro tips, so to speak. Like one thing that we really love suggesting is ask your date questions about things that they shared. And it it seems pretty obvious, but when you actually listen to some of the dates, you realize not everyone does it. And so it's a reminder for yourself to like, be like, oh, okay, it's okay to do this. Or maybe I shouldn't do that because it's pretty obvious when I'm listening to other people that that doesn't really work. And I can really hear why. And so it's, I think, an interesting learning opportunity for people who are dating, who are interested in kind of thinking about how they date differently. Um, it's been, it's really, it's been a lot of fun also to kind of normalize. I think, like you were saying, the awkwardness. Um, I think a lot of people expect first dates to be magical, like they are in the movies, <laughs> and that's that's what a first date should be in order to know that I found the one. But sometimes they're just a little bit awkward, and that's okay too. And nervous laughter is is normal, and and. You know, you should embrace that too. Yeah, it's quite interesting to see how people approach, you know, those kind of first date conversations. I know, you know, you kind of have, like you mentioned, sometimes a question that uh, you have the two dates ask each other and kind of go from there. And like a few of the episodes I listened to, like some of the people would take that question, but then go in a totally different direction. And it's interesting to kind of see that in comparison to myself when I was dating and kind of, you know, how I would go into first dates and those initial conversations where it's kind of a sense like you're trying to completely figure out that person on that first date to (laughs) see if there's any reason to go on that second date that third date, that fourth date. And it's such an interesting concept to really think about how other people do it as well. Because I used to have this device, it was the Ford device, right? So if I ever got to a point in the conversation where I was stalled and couldn't think of anything to ask or say, it was either talk about family, occupation, recreation, or dreams, the Ford (laughs) method. (laughs) I've never heard this before. But when you really think about love, you don't want to have to think about what that conversation needs to be. You just want it to flow naturally. But then it's still a situation where you're first meeting someone and you're first face-to-face. It is awkward. So sometimes, all right, I have to go back to this device to (laughs) think of something to say. But that's not always the greatest thing to do on a first date. You know, devices are can be helpful if they're they help you get out of a weird headspace potentially if you're really nervous. But you're right. Like at the end of the day, you want to make sure the conversation flows. And if it's not flowing because you just can't find anything to actually keep the conversation alive, that's that's probably not a great fit. But if you're using a device, I think just to kind of get past those initial nerves, get to know them, I think that's okay. I think it's pretty natural when you're getting to know someone in a romantic context to feel nervous. And so you might not be working on all, all cylinders and they might be the same. So I think it's I think it's not uh, atypical where in the beginning, you know, you're first getting to know someone. There might be an awkward pause because, you know, you don't want to like take up too much space and you're giving them space and they might feel the same. So trying to find things that you can talk about where it will then be balanced. So not necessarily, you know, saying well, I do this for a living, you know, as part of the Ford device so much as, so what do you do? Not to mm-hmm. say that that's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with the, what do you do for a living? <laughs> but 
you know, thinking about the hobby example or the recreation one, you could say, so what do you like to do? Mm -hmm. And then they share that with you and you can ask questions about it and then you can share about yourself. But if you take the approach of, well, I love doing this hobby and then just kind of expect them to reciprocate, that's a little bit different. And so I think you can use devices to spark the conversation and you can do it in a way that's inviting to conversation and inviting kind of a balance. It is definitely a fine balance to strike. And I think first dates can be awkward. And it's this kind of dance where you have to figure out, you know, are you both on the dance floor or somebody (laughs) sitting in the seat just watching? Um, You never want to go to a date and make it feel like it's an interview. Just (laughs) go down the checklist of what do you do? How many people in your family? Do you love your family? (laughs) Avoid those. Some people do that. You know, some people do that. I'm not a fan of that either. Some people think it's more efficient. To, you know, get these things out of the way and determine whether or not these, you know, things that are deal breakers may be issues up front. But I think mm-hmm. I think the goal, I think you actually mentioned this earlier about kind of the goal on a first date. It shouldn't be determining whether or not they're the one. It should be determining, is there something here enough that I want to go on a second date? That I want to mm-hmm. keep getting to know this person. So if we just narrow that scope a little bit, it can be a lot easier and it can take a lot of stress off of both you and kind of the date itself. I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Uh, before we move on, myself and Water Cooler Talk are on a mission to help give back to different parts of the community and those who have helped build our show to where it stands today. For each new episode of the podcast, the guests will bring with them a charity of their choice to represent. On the day of their episode going live, Water Cooler Talk will give a donation to that charity in honor of the guest, as well as a global platform to spread a message of love, hope, and togetherness. And we hope you listening to this episode can join in to help spread their message to your own personal audience. Tali, your uh, charity of choice for today's episode is the New York City Sheba Rescue. Do you mind explaining a bit about the work they do in New York in regards to Sheba Rescue, fostering, and adoption? Yeah, the New York City Sheba Rescue brings in Shebas, you know, whether they're full Shebas or part Shebas, and they foster them. They help them with any healthcare bills. They do their transport. Um, and so it's a really incredible network of people who help dogs that need help. Uh, Sheba's in particular are near and dear to me. I just feel like they are my soul dog. Um, (laughs) And I think people get them because they're really beautiful, but they're also a really stubborn breed and they're really hard. They have quite the personalities. They have quite the personality. (laughs) They can be hard to train. They can be, they're just stubborn. They're like the cats of dogs. Um, So they don't necessarily (laughs) listen. And so people get them and then they abandon them if they're too much for them. And so there are a lot of Sheba's out there and you know, mixed breeds with Shivas in them that are abandoned. And we just really love that this this particular uh, group focuses on them. We love all dog shelters, but we work with them specifically to foster dogs. And they're just really incredible and doing really incredible work. Yeah, I love that. And obviously, I'm a big supporter of Adopt, Don't Shop. Glad to be able to share them on the podcast today. Thank you. It means so much to us. All right, Tully, are you ready to jump into our final news story of this episode? Yes. All right. This is from the Times of India China News, January 19th, 2022. Chinese couple trapped on lockdown date get engaged. A Chinese couple who were trapped on a never-ending date thanks to a virus lockdown have been relieved to find that love, not the coronavirus, is in the air and have agreed to tie the knot. It was the second time in January of 2022 that China's state media had published reports about a couple on a date getting trapped by sudden lockdown rules. But this one has a happier ending. Zhao Saozing, a 28-year-old woman from China's Shanxi province, thought her date with a young man living in a different city would be a one-day affair where she would also get to know his family. Zhao, who was meeting the man for the second time, states, I never thought about staying the night because it's pretty awkward. Young Chinese individuals in smaller cities and rural communities often rely on family and friends to introduce potential romantic matches and can meet their date's family at the same time. But authorities in her date city of Xinyang suddenly ordered a lockdown to a spike in cases, leaving Zhao and her date stuck together without the ability for her to return home. Zhao said she was, quote-unquote, not too interested when she first saw a photograph of the man named Zhao Fei, but later thought he looked better in real life. Zhao Fei's parents urged the pair to get engaged after just one week together, but Zhao said she felt it was too rushed. Despite the awkward start, the pair began to develop feelings and have now decided to get engaged. Zhao states, 
we get along very well. I have to sell apples on live stream at his house. That was the most interesting thing about this article that she's selling apples on live stream. But anyways, but no matter how late it is, he is always by my side. I am very touched by this. Our souls are compatible. We get along very well and both our parents are happy. The story captured the imagination of online audiences, but while some swooned over the relentless match of fate, others warned against rust decisions. Online comments included, Then, after a year or two, you'll get tired of each other and divorce. I've just seen too many of these kinds of flash marriages. Or, Sis, think clearly about this one. Zhao's story went viral on Chinese social media just days after another pair of hopeful lovebirds made headlines for being trapped on a week-long blind date thanks to a COVID lockdown. Wang, a woman in China's Henan province, had been stuck in her suitor's apartment since going for a home-cooked meal as her first date in early January. But romance has not blossomed for Wang, who complained her date was as talkative as a quote-unquote wooden mannequin. That is quite the burn. And now this guy is going to be known as the wooden mannequin, even here in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> so Tali, as mentioned in the article, Zhao was not necessarily attracted to Zhao Fei at first, but it's but it took some time, maybe a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. Uh, and after getting to know him, he was able to build a better relationship. And so to that, and kind of continuing on the conversation we had earlier, you know, this debate between the physical attraction and mental attraction, to you, what's the importance of both? And should we focus on one over the other? Both are important. At the end of the day, and for some people, honestly, attraction isn't important at all. And that's, you know, whole people. And that's also, you know, they should do whatever works for them. They have attraction based on other things, not physical attraction. It's as important as it should be to the, each individual. And so for some people, physical attraction is the most important. And great, they should focus on that. But for most people, attraction is a spectrum. And it changes as we get to know people in both directions. They become more or less attractive to us as we develop these connections to them. And what I think is really important for people who are interested in a long-term connection is to think about that spectrum instead of just making split-second decisions and allow that spectrum, allow our, our attraction to someone fluctuate as we develop a connection to them. And that's really, really hard on normal dating apps because you're making the decision based pretty much exclusively on photos. It's two-dimensional. It's not even like an in-real-life person where you can see them moving and they're animated. And to the point that, you know, in the article, when the woman saw the, the picture, and I'm, I'm not pronouncing their, name, their names because I don't want to butcher them. Is it Zhao? Zhao. Zhao. Um, when she saw the photo of the man, she said she wasn't all that interested. And that's interesting because, you know, we also have pictures of ourselves that we put out there thinking, oh, we look great in this. And then I, you know, I know I've had friends be like, why don't you use that other photo of yourself? You look so much better. Mm -hmm. And so it's just interesting how we think about photos of ourselves, about other people and how we're using that to assess attractiveness. When in reality, when you're actually in real life with someone, it's different. And our attraction might be different based on what they look like. It will change as we, you know, talk to them. And I think we need to let that happen more. And it's hard when we're in this world where we're just, you know, on our phone swiping. And so how do we let that happen more? Talk to people, like actually get to know them a little bit before deciding whether or not there's, you know, something there and whether or not you want to pursue it. Um, and so I thought this story was really beautiful because you kind of see it happening, you know, <laughs> kind of in a forced bubble, but uh -huh. you, you hear them talking about it and and kind of the the development of, of that and like the evolution of their relationship that it probably wouldn't have happened if they weren't stuck together. I don't know. I thought this story was really fun. Um, <laughs> the apples thing, I also thought was quite funny. <laughs> I don't know who's buying apples on live stream. But. <laughs> well, one of the things you've mentioned throughout this conversation is people are very, 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 very bad at marketing themselves. And, you know, as you mentioned, you might have a photo that you think looks really good, but then your friends will be like, hmm. I don't think so. Or they'll be like, this photo looks a lot better for you. You know, I even, you know, seeing other friends dating apps, I'm kind of sometimes like, why did you choose these photos? You know, right. so <laughs> it's so interesting to hear this story. And like you said, see this play out, obviously, you know, as we mentioned in kind of a forced way, but seeing that this man, Zhao Fei, was maybe not the greatest at marketing himself to Zhao. And once she had the chance to really get to know him and actually see him in person, because, you know, that's one of the things people don't realize when you think about lenses and different cameras and different angles and different lighting and how different you can look. There's a really good video that goes through like the different lens uh, sizes and the different lights. And you can see how this person completely changes. The video I was referencing was from photographer Dan Wolstek. 
And then obviously you think about like Photoshop and photo altering and how, you know, you meet someone and they can completely look different than they would online. You know, everyone always tells me I look better in person. So I don't know what that means, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think it's important to kind of see this play out and say, all right, here's a situation where first she was not too interested, her words when she saw a photograph of, you know, this man, Zhao Fei. But once she got a chance to actually meet him in person and away from the screen and away from this, obviously his way of badly marketing himself to where he looks better in person, she had a chance to really get to know him and say, oh, okay, this split second decision I made of you through this app could have potentially wasted a good match that, you know, now sounds like they're engaged and hopefully still together. We'll see what time tells. But she could have missed that because her first initial reaction to this man was, I'm not too interested. I mean, as you were speaking, I'm envisioning all those TikTok filters where people turn them on and take them off and you see the the fake version and the real version. Mm -hmm. And it's just incredible what technology can do these days with visuals. And to be honest, I think I have a snap filter on right now that just makes me feel a little bit better as I go into my Zoom calls and my Google calls. And so I think it's it's normal to do that. But when, yeah, when you're thinking about meeting someone and you're presenting yourself, sometimes you're presenting a version of yourself that isn't real and it's, you know, not conducive to actually making a connection or you're, you know, I've seen friends who've used photos that are like five years old that just aren't representative of what they look like now. And there's nothing wrong with what they look like now, but they are choosing consciously to present a different version of themselves. And that then, you know, in that first interaction, when they actually meet someone, can create a level of disappointment that just doesn't need to be there because if they just set the bar or the expectation with reality, then it would just be a very different dynamic when you're going to actually meet someone for the first time. And so I think people aren't good at marketing themselves and they're also potentially marketing the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just, we've gotten really reliant on these, these kind of uh, visuals, both in terms of how we present ourselves, how we look at others. Um, Even, you know, this setup, like I have two lights that are lighting me properly <laughs> because I think it's important that I'm not looking like I'm in this dungeon talking to you because if there's this bright aspect to it, it's a more enjoyable light conversation rather than me just sitting in like a dark room. You know, I'm reminded of the recent conversation a moderator from the subreddit anti-work had on Fox News. It was in like this dimly lit, you know, house, you know, it seemed worse than it actually was. I mean, I think they had some valuable things that they were saying, but just that perception, you know, as we talked about this, like split second perception and judgments we make of people, it does play an important factor in how society greets our, our, um, our public perception of ourselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always think to the fact of this is how, you know, you're way too attractive. If you can wake up from a night of sleep, from a super nice, deep night of sleep, turn on a front-facing camera, take a photo of yourself, and post that on social media and get thousands of likes, then you are way too attractive. I just, yeah, no, even with this, when we got on this call, I was like, oh, crap, I thought it was audio only. And I'm like trying to fix my hair because it's got frizz. And I'm like, you know, we think about our other's appearances as much as we think about our own. And I think it's interesting because I don't think I'm, I never consciously am thinking about, oh, their hair looks frizzy, but I'm thinking about my own hair, thinking about, oh, what are they going to think about my hair and what it looks like today? And so it looks just play such a funny role on how we meet people and how we present ourselves and how we get to know them. And one thing we want to enable people to do is kind of separate that from the person when they're dating and actually get to know the person for who they are. Because what they look like doesn't matter if it's a terrible date and you have a terrible experience talking to them. You know, your perspective of what they look like will be different if you actually had a really great connection. And so we're just, you know, playing with this idea of appearances and how we kind of develop connections in this dating context. And for people who are looking for that genuine connection, it's just a very different way of meeting people and getting to know them and letting them get to know you. Yeah. Just so you know, on my screen, I literally have my side of the video covered just so I don't look at myself. <laughs> Because that's, that's true, right? You're that. constantly like looking at yourself in the mirror and constantly checking yourself out. So you're constantly like thinking about all these things when other people are like, oh, yeah, you look great. Don't worry about yeah. it. So as far as Blink Date, you know, I'm making the assumption that eventually the business plan is for Blink Date to be a global brand and app. And maybe that's not something you've thought about uh, or have gotten to that point where you're thinking about. But what factors do you think should be considered when someone dates 
like say internationally, because you can look at the story and they talk about meeting their parents on the first date, but that's a very common thing to do in many Asian countries because a lot of the time you live with your family and once you get married, you may move out or you may stay in to take care of the parents. You know, we do want Blink to be a global brand. We want to be able to change our people date across the world. Um, that's a, a long-term plan and goal. How we approach that for other countries where dating practices are different and include different parties, we'll have to see. I think in the context, you know, of this idea of meeting parents first, there are uh, just kind of think going back to what we we're talking about in the very beginning of different apps. There are apps that actually support that where parents are like contributing to the swiping process and the matching process. And I imagine maybe the parents have profiles too. Um, not to say that that's something that Blink would do, but I think it's really interesting to think about the decisions we make about people and why we make them. And, you know, we've been talking so for a while now about how we make it based on appearances. And now you're adding in the layer of, you know, parents and if we get along with them and, you mm -hmm. know, do, is and this culture the, and, and culture and do I want to be here taking care of them? And so I think it's just for everyone, it's going to be different if they think about that as like a bigger factor, like, oh, I can't handle this person's parents. I'm not interested in dating them or, hey, I really love this person and I'm going to deal with whatever challenges there may be in taking care of their parents because I love them. Mm -hmm. Finding love just looks different in every place. Like in some cultures, you have matchmakers still who are kind of pairing people off and they basically you go on two dates with someone before you decide whether or not to get married. People should do whatever they feel most comfortable with. And there are societal pressures that, you know, sometimes make them do things that they don't necessarily want to do. And people should assess and kind of do self-reflection. I know people who, you know, grew up in families where matchmaking was a thing and their parents want to matchmake them, but they're on the apps because that's what they feel most comfortable with. And that's something that people have to navigate. I think there's no wrong way to find love. I think it's really just people need to choose what works for them. And I think they need to also to the extent they're looking for a lifetime partner, think about the things that are really important to them and how they can most effectively find that. And if, you know, again, swiping on apps or voice first conversations or meeting someone's family, you know, there are all sorts of ways to do it. I, I love that way of wrapping it up. And I think what you said is very important too. And I want to harken back to it on love looks different for everyone. And how you go about finding that love is going to be a very different journey and experience for everyone. But Tali, I want to thank you for taking the time to share your perspective on some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a productive and meaningful conversation. Listeners, if you'd like to support and connect more with Tali and what she's building with Blink Date, you can head to their website, www.theblinkdate.com, or follow them across social media platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Blink Date. Once again, on their website, www theblinkdate.com or across major social media platforms at The Blink Date. Awesome that you got the same name for all the social medias. I love it. Uh, <laughs> you can also find the first season of Blink Date's companion podcast, Date in a Blink, on both Spotify and Apple and really wherever you can listen to podcasts. And as always, those links will be included in the description of this episode and on our website, www.watercoolertalkpod.com. So, Tali, this episode will be coming out post-Valentine's Day, so potentially a lot of new budding relationships or, you know, even steady relationships coming out uh, of a time of year filled with the idea of love or even individuals who just had to deal with seeing happy couples and, uh, and them being in love and want to get back out there. So, what are some recommendations you can give to those individuals about keeping dating fun and exciting? I think um, I'll just go back to a tip I shared earlier. See, dating is not a process to necessarily find the one. It is long term. But as you're getting to know people, focus on, am I still interested in talking to them? Focus on that question. And don't worry about, do they like you? Don't worry about a third of one. Just explore. And if you are interested in another date, put yourself out there. If they're not, that's fine. It's not personal. Everyone, you know, not everyone is everyone else's cup of tea. And so just kind of try to reduce the pressure on yourself and explore. And I think the other thing is, if you're not you know, actively dating, or if you don't have anyone in your life right now, you can find love in different places. Like if you have a pet, you know, have a date with your pet and <laughs> make a Valentine's Day outing with, you know, your furry loved one or plan a date with, you know, your friends who are still single or, you know, or a date with, with yourself, your parents or a date with yourself, you know, have a nice bubble bath or make, you know, a nice meal for yourself. There are all sorts of ways to experience love and it doesn't have to be necessarily from another human and it doesn't necessarily have to be platonic. So, or I'm sorry, romantic. It can also be platonic. 
And so just um, think about dating as, as a way to explore, get to know people, and find love in other places. All right. Well, as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest host day by Tali, where we take these strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and, well, just try and have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Tali, we are now to my favorite part of the show, where I hand off the show to you to close out our conversation in this perfect little bow that will be remembered for the rest of life on earth. No pressure whatsoever. (laughs) Tali, the floor is yours. A theme that we kind of talked about is how uh, love doesn't look any particular way. And we talked about these two stories today, but we thought about a bunch of others. And if you look online, if you look on TV, if you look around you, love comes in all shapes and sizes. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. And I think sometimes we get lost in looking for it in a certain form for ourselves. And I think we should just maybe be open to thinking about love a little bit more fluidly and dynamically and stop seeing it as, you know, the big grand meet cute and, you know, followed by the being swept off your feet. It can grow in different ways. And so I think um, if we approach our day-to-day lives with a little bit more I don't want to say rose-colored glasses, but for lack of a better term, that then, you know, every day could be a little bit brighter and we can find love in more places. And that's how I, I'd say I'd wrap it up. Yeah. Romantic movies and TV shows, they're yeah. just and made up. To be honest, most of the time, the endings of those movies where people end up together, those are really just the beginnings of a story and a life. So it shouldn't necessarily be the goal that that's just the starting line. So if you see a story and you're like, this is a perfect relationship. No, it's just the start of the relationship. There's a lot more that comes after a lot more hard days, a lot more things that you have to work through. Uh, love is a complicated and, and again, beautiful thing if you let it be. And sometimes those love stories are toxic. I'm, I'm looking at the notebook, <laughs> very, very toxic relationship there. Very toxic. <laughs> Don't look for that in your relationship. Uh, Tully, yes. thank you very much for being on the show. This was, you know, a fantastic first quote unquote date. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have many more in the future, many more conversations. Uh, so thank you for being on the show. Thank you for sharing, you know, what you're doing with Blink Date and, you know, and listeners, if you, if you're single and you want to check it out, Blink Date. But yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much again for having me. I really loved sharing this with you and having this conversation. Uh, All right, listeners, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, the show will be over. Peace. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real.